0: They are in Kids Church. Okay, yeah. Once again, why they are leaders of the month for the month of November, because they are in Kids Church. If you know Eric and Valerie, make sure that you uh, pat them on the back, tell them how much you appreciate them and love them. Um, They have done a tremendous job with our Kids Church ministry, and so uh, we want to let them know how much we love them, how much we appreciate all of their hard work, okay? All right. One of the most challenging tests of life, guys, can be a sibling rivalry. And if you had children who went and got candy last night, you saw that firsthand. <laughs> because they came home and one of them opened up a, a, the, their thing and got their bowl out and looked at all their candy. And then they went and looked at the other guy's candy and what did they say? They got more than I do! <laughs> Why do they have, you know, and I have figured out a way in my house to correct that problem. I have a bowl. (laughs) And so if they come home from Hallelujah Night and one's got all this candy and one's got just a little bit of candy, well, my bowl is the great equalizer, okay? It is, I have the ability uh, because I am dad and uh, I remind them that it is a dictatorship. It is not a democracy, so I'm daddy. And uh, and I can uh, I can I can choose to to help you out with that. So um, I'm going to get this chair over here. But uh, but what I what we do is we see these rivalries take place and we see them occur in, in the lives of our children. And, and for parents, it's tough for us sometimes as we uh, as we watch them face them and uh, go through that, that go through that difficulty. But in numbers. Uh, we have another another rivalry that we see, and uh, it is with Miriam and Aaron and Moses. Miriam and Aaron and Moses they uh, they face a rivalry that that is sparked by uh, Miriam getting angry with Moses, about uh, his wife. and she begins to complain to God about his wife and complain about uh, how uh, he married and all that kind of stuff And, and so we, we see this frustration that comes in our life And, and I want us to just kind of unfold that today Just a little bit and, and peel that back And look at how envy can be so detrimental to the life of a Christian We first get a glimpse of Miriam back in Exodus chapter 2 in Exodus chapter 2, Miriam, uh, if you remember, she, Moses, there was a decree put out by Pharaoh. And Moses said that all of, or not Moses, Pharaoh said that all of the children of Israel, because they're the people were getting so great in number, he said, uh, I want all of these, these young male babies killed because... Uh, if they ever decide to rise up and fight us, they are much greater in number than we are And they'll defeat us, so I want them killed And so Moses' mother gave birth and, and had this child And, and at, he, she, she raised him to three months of age And at three months old, when she could hide him no longer She put him in the Nile River You remember, he put, put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River and Miriam hid in some reeds and watched, and watched her baby brother float down the Nile River to, to safety, actually. She wasn't sure how, where he was going to float, but he floated down the Nile. And, and if you remember, Pharaoh's daughter, this is in Exodus chapter 2, was down at the river, and she was bathing. And she found Moses. She, well, she heard him actually crying and sent one of her servants out to, to get Moses and, and brought him in. And, and Miriam, as a protective sibling, was instrumental in her baby brother uh, being able to spend just a little bit more time with mom because she went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, Look, why don't you let this lady nurse this baby and you can keep the baby. And so, so Miriam... Uh, was this protective superior kind of protective maybe I I, I don't want (laughs) to say mama hen I guess uh, because I I didn't want to offend any ladies (laughs) in here this morning but that's what Mackenzie kind of does she sort of mommies my my two sons and Mackenzie's my youngest daughter and she looks after them and so that's kind of what Miriam did there and Uh, The problem, though, is Miriam began to see her brother grow up in this lap of luxury in Pharaoh's house. And as she watched him grow up, it became more and more difficult for her to see this. And then, you know, Moses was chosen for a specific purpose. And he was the deliverer of the children of Israel. So Miriam and Aaron, both holding high positions in uh among the children and nation of Israel. Miriam was a prophetess. And Aaron was the high priest. I mean, very, very high positions of authority uh, among the people that they served and lived with. But they looked at Moses. And they saw what Moses had. And what did they say? They said, I want that. I want what Moses has. I want to be like him, and so so as they look at this and 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 they see uh, all the all the authority and power that Moses has, Miriam uh, goes to God, and she she instigates this open rebellion. Uh, and uh, it reads right here in in Numbers chapter twelve like this: It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And at once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, He said, Come out to the tent of meeting all three of you. So all three of them came out. Now here's a picture of God being daddy. He says, All right now. I hear you complaining. I hear I hear Miriam saying, he's got more candy than I do. He's got the bigger bowl. He's got a bigger bag. Of course he did. He got to go to more houses than I did or whatever. But she asked, she says, Is he not the only one that God has spoken through? I mean, what am I? chopped liver here? I'm good. I'm good. You remember Barney? He said, I'm good, I'm good, you know. And uh But but, uh, Miriam is saying, I'm good. I've done these things. I mean, what's the deal here, God? And God says, all three of you, right here, right now. (laughs) Have you ever heard your mom or dad say that to you? And you know, man, and I I told this to Thursday night uh, crowd at the bridge. I said, sometimes when they're just, oh, they're just grating, grating on my nerves, I'll just look at all of them and say, get in here right now. And man, the fear of God just kind of washes over them. And they're like, I don't know what I did, but I hope it's not as bad as he looks like it is. And, and then I just kind of uh, smooth it over and say, all right, now chill out. But, but God did this. God called them and said, I want you to come here because I got something I need to say to you. And then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent. And he summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when both of them stepped forward... He said, listen to my words. He said, I want to get your attention. You've asked a question. you asked a question about Moses. And I've put you in a place of authority. As you humbled yourself, I exalted you. But now you've gotten prideful. So I'm going to tell you what the deal is here. Okay? And God says this. He says, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. I think he pretty much just said, watch out, (laughs) with Miriam and Aaron right there. He said, you're a prophetess and you're a priest. And with you, I speak to you in visions and in dreams. And that's a big deal. And I've done that in you. But you want to know about Moses? Moses, he's faithful in all of his house. And I speak to him face to face. And then he goes on further in that passage and says, did you not fear me? Understanding that that was the kind of relationship that I had with God. And we look at that and we say, whoa, man, Miriam, Aaron, doofus, what are y'all thinking here? You know, I can't believe you did that. But before we get too prideful or, or puff up just a little bit too much, we need to remember and recognize that all of us have been in this place. All of us have been in this place where we look and we envy and we want what somebody else has. One writer put it this way. He said, if, if envy were an illness, the world would be a hospital. So in order to understand envy and get a, a, a clear uh, view of what's going on here with Miriam and Aaron, I want us to get a good working definition of what envy is. One writer, or one psychologist, Maury Silver, said, I can't imagine anyone who hasn't experienced envy at one time or another. To be human is to compare ourselves with others. People can be compared in their work, in their salary, in almost anything. And that is the basis of envy. The first thing we do when we envy someone is we compare ourselves to them. And then after the comparison, we feel deprived so we we compare and then after the comparison we begin feeling de- deprived the thing i want to do as we unwrap this today is i want to distinguish between two things though a lot of times we look at envy and we think that envy and jealousy are the same thing envy and jealousy are not uh, jealousy, as we look at it, it it's, it's uh, the definition I have here It's an unpleasant suspicion or a resentment arising from fear or mistrust of someone else It's intolerant of rivalry uh, Jealousy is usually between three people it's, it's a rivalry between three people There's a triangle of folks And An example of jealousy could be between uh, a husband and a wife and, a, and a, a male or female friend that that husband or wife has a fear the other is going to uh, maybe run off with or, or like better than they like uh, that other person. Uh, we see jealousy in our children, you know. We are jealous as adult children of our parents' love and attention and devotion. When we think that one adult child gets a little bit more than we do. Maybe, that, maybe it's not things, but it's attention. It's, it's uh, the love of a parent that you feel like you should be getting a little bit more of. So that's what jealousy is. Envy is malicious grudging. Envy can be between two people. It usually is. And what envy does is it looks at what that person has and says, I deserve that over you. I should have what you have. It's not just wanting to have the same thing that somebody has. It's wanting them to be knocked off of their pedestal. It's wanting to take away from them what they have. And you have it all for yourself. That is what envy looks like. And and God has very, very strong feelings about envy. And we'll see that as we look a little further in this passage. We are a society that is obsessed with comparisons. And we envy because we see that there is a difference between who we are and who we feel like we should be. We look at who we are today and say, you know what I, I, I deserve more than that. I should be more than that. My boss has got this and that and the other. I got a brother that has this that he's got a house on the uh, at the beach and at, in the mountains and and here in town, and, and I deserve that. I should have those things. Why don't I have those things? And it's much easier for us to celebrate when we see them get knocked down a notch than it is to celebrate when we see them enjoy a victory. We have a hard time with that. One writer's put it this way. He said, it's easier for us to mourn with those who are mourning than it is for us to celebrate with those who celebrate and it is when people when when there is a celebration when somebody advances many times it's very very difficult for us okay it shouldn't be and we need to pray that it that it gets to the point that it isn't but sometimes it is very very difficult we're taught in our society to compare uh, we're taught by our parents. Our parents do it. We, we uh, have our siblings and friends and cousins that we're compared to. I remember when I was a boy and, and my dad had just started getting me into baseball and he wanted me to play baseball and I didn't want to play. I was like, I don't want to play baseball. I want to do something else. I don't know what it was, eat candy. I don't know what it was, something other than play baseball. And and I, I'll never forget it to this day. And he didn't do it on purpose, but he said, Your cousin John plays baseball, and you're going to play baseball. You know. And I was like, Man, do you, did you want John to be your son? You know? He never answered that, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, um, our teachers compare us. My, uh, my younger brother was compared To myself and my older brother many, many times as a child growing up. And I felt very bad for him as I got older. And I found out that that took place in his life. Because he was, um, and if you're a teacher here, hear this. He would go to class and he would have a difficult time with a particular subject. And and the teacher would look at him and say, why is this so hard for you? Why are you not like?" Your brother, Rob, and Andy. I mean, this came so easy for them. Why, why is this such a struggle for you? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Please never do that to a child. Because it just... I'm going to tell you what it did to him as, as, as a student going through school. He just quit. He was like, man, I can't, I'm not, I can't please him. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. So I'm just not going to try. And if it wasn't for my mom... He would have never graduated, but he is a very successful entrepreneur today. He's very smart. He's very intelligent. But he was compared by a teacher, and it really devastated his life. Coaches compare us. Standardized tests compare us. Performance evaluations at work. Beauty contests, all these things. Our society not only encourages envy, but it requires envy in order to maintain itself. It requires it. Our, uh, the, the advertising industry spends six billion dollars a day. Now there's a lot of hungry people in the world. We're, we're taking up money for uh, going out to Kentucky and feeding these folks on Thanksgiving Day. And that is an incredible thing. Can you imagine the change that would take place if we took some of those advertising dollars that push us to envy what somebody else has and put them to better use? And and look, I'm not not anti-advertisement. We advertise. We got billboards. We do all that stuff. But so much of it is driven at, don't you want to be somebody else? If you just do this, if you just do that, you can be somebody else. If you have this surgery or that surgery, you can look like this person or that person. You can be somebody else. And so we're we're driven. Uh, Betsy Cohen said "We're, we're encouraged to look better, do better, learn more, have more. Always over and over and over and over and over again. And it has an insatiable appetite. Because envy is sin. And sin is insatiable in its appetite. And if you don't... Know what that word is? It means that it eats and eats and eats, but it never is satisfied. It is a hunger that always stays there. It's always with you. And you have to celebrate. You have to learn. And God has to do this in you. Because what's in us is envy. But what God can work in us is celebrating that, being happy with that. God's done that in the life of my wife. She, uh, I, about every spring when it starts getting warm, I start looking at the water and feeling the temperature rise. And I'm like, we need a boat. We need to get a boat. Because if I had a boat, I could be like David. And David's got him a boat and I want me a boat, you know. And uh, some of you other guys that have boats and I'm going to get out there on that boat. And I'm going to ski and Joe's got a boat. And I'm going to, you know, I could. I could ride around and look at Joe and David and say, hey, look at my boat. You know, I mean, I got a boat. And my wife, she, she's got such a good handle on this. She, every spring she looks at me and she said, honey, you don't need a boat. We're in the perfect situation. We'll let all of our friends buy boats. And then when they break, they can fix them, you know. We just ride on them after they come out of the shop. So, you know, there you go. But um, So there's there's some good that that you can find there. But envy, the result of envy, guys, it is very pervasive. Far too many of us, far too many of us live in a perpetual state of longing. We want and want and want and we're never, ever satisfied because we're looking to the stuff to make us happy. And it's not always material. Maybe it's a title. Maybe it's a position. You know, maybe it's the way that people say my name, you know, and talk to me and the, and how they revere me. Maybe that's the thing we're looking for. Sometimes people will come up to me here at the church or at the bridge or maybe in town and they'll say, Hey, Andy. And then they'll go, Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Pastor Andy. I said, Look. I've been Andy way longer than I've been anything else. It's okay if you call me that. Because I don't find my identity in a title. It isn't wrapped up in that. Your identity shouldn't be wrapped up in what's after your name, you know. And uh, I I knew a guy, Pastor Jimmy, has a friend. And he said that at the end of his name, he put... uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he put, he's, he wrote his name, and then he put D-M-N. And they said, well, what does that mean? We've never seen that before. And he said, it don't mean nothing. <laughs> so I'm Andy Stovall, D-M-N. It don't mean nothing, you know? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's, that's what the title's worth, you know? It's <laughs> So... God's so serious, though, guys, about this issue of envy, that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, he put it in there as the tenth commandment. He said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I can imagine, probably, on the way to church today, nobody had an issue with coveting their neighbor's oxen or donkey, okay? That probably was not a big issue for you today. You know, boy, that sure is a pretty donkey out there in that field, you know? So, uh, speaking of, the, the donkey on 70, that... that Little bit. Is that donkey? That donkey is old, man. That thing's like my age. Little bit is like getting geriatric care, kind of thing going on, and uh, that's cool, man. But uh, you know that donkey. I don't ever see that donkey do anything but this. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret. Maybe you just stand out in the yard and just look down at the ground. You'll live a long, long time. But <laughs> little bit ain't got much going on. They ain't plowing. Little bit, I can tell you that. So, but um, here's what we do envy though, guys We envy people's appearance We envy their stock portfolio We envy their cars, as we saw on the clip And wasn't that a funny clip? And it's a silly clip And you know, you look at it and go, yeah, this guy It's it's so ridiculous that by the end of his ranting He even forgot what he was talking about But see, that's the thing That That's... The sin of envy, what makes it so bad is that it is so petty. As petty as that was, as petty as that looked when you were watching that clip. That's how petty it is when we do it. And, uh, you know, we again as I said earlier. We, we, uh, we envy cars and portfolios, personalities. And we're constantly, envy creates this constant cycle of comparing ourselves And when our children when drew was about two years old and my daughter was about four um, my wife went to the store and bought two little you know little girl bikini things we had this little pool we got from Sam's and we put it in the front in the backyard and and they're you know having a ball swimming and so I, I I'm cutting the grass and and my wife, gets home and she told Mackenzie that she was picking this up before before she left and so she was real excited and so when, when she got back in McKinsey runs mama mama you know how they do and and uh, the older they get the less they do it you know and you're wondering if they still live in the house but, um, uh, but she got home and she's all excited and she's got two little bathing suits and oh you know I gotta go try them on and and so I'm, I have to stop everything and wait and go in and, and, you know, we've got the, we got the whole modeling thing going on. So she comes out and Kirsten says, okay, stop everything you're doing. And uh, Mackenzie's coming into the backyard and she's got her new bathing suit on and want you to take a look at it. And so she comes out and she's cute as a button. You know, she's four years old. How could she not be anything but cute, you know? So she's cute as a button. She walks out and she's like, "Look, Daddy, isn't it pretty?" And I, oh, I just make the biggest deal. Oh, Mackenzie, you are so beautiful. That is so pretty. That that bathing suit. I just can't believe it. You, you know, it was made for you. That kind of thing. So whatever, whatever you say. But you know. So my son is watching this transpire, and. You know, a lot of times when we when we look at when siblings compare themselves to, uh, you know, who's getting the most from mom and dad, you know, it's like if you get a bigger scoop of ice cream, they think love is limited, and so if, if they get the most of it, then there's less for me, you know. They don't understand we love them all so much and would die for every one of them. There's nothing we wouldn't do for them. But he's looking at this, and he's watching it, and he's getting this sense of, I I, I feel like, I'm missing something here. So I crank the lawnmower and I go back to cutting. And, and in about five minutes, Kirsten comes out again and I see her, you know, hey, you know, waving her arms. And some of you have heard me tell this story, but waving her arms and she stops me and I said, well, what, what, what is it? I, I, you know, I got to get done cutting the grass. You know how you men do. We're like, Let me finish this, you know. And uh, she says, You got to stop. Drew wants to show you something. So I turn around and I look toward the back door, and my two year old son, who is going to carry on our name, is standing on the deck with a silver bikini on. And he says, Look, Daddy, I pity, I pity. I did not respond the same way to him as I did to Kirsten. I said, we're going to buy a gun today. And some camo. And some pads and a helmet. And I'm going to tackle you all afternoon in the front yard. Man. But we compare, you know. We. We do it, Lord Jesus. Thank you that He does not do that anymore. <laughs> now he now he compares my wallet to his. He's like, you have more money in your wallet than I do, Dad. Or usually it's Dad. Why is there no money in your wallet? So, but um, but then what happens, guys? Envy moves out of uh, the home. And it moves into school, it moves into our job, it moves into friendships, and we have a tendency of looking over our shoulder to see who gets the office with the window. We uh, see who has the most gifted children among the group of people that we hang out with, you know, who's better at doing what, and boy, we got to step it up, you know, then if somebody is, if your kid's a tennis player and somebody's more gifted than they are, you're like that, that mom or dad who's out there on the tennis court with the three-year-old little girl. Have you seen that commercial that was on years ago? And those balls are just flying 90 miles an hour. And that kid's, you know, doing everything she can to protect herself from getting killed by these tennis balls. Because we want to, man, we're driving them. You've got to be good. Sometimes envy is expressed... In us living our lives vicariously through our children. Wanting them to achieve and have things maybe that we didn't have. If they just understand, if they just got it. And guys, remember, Pastor has shared this with us before, but training up our child in the way that he should go means finding, praying, and seeking God and saying, what is the bent of my child? What is that area that God has naturally gifted them in and let me work toward helping them fully express that gift and fully express that bent? through the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their life. And that's, guys, that's what it is. It isn't, I'm going to make you a mini-me. It's, I'm going to find out who you are and help you discover that. And then we're going to nurture that and cultivate that and cause that thing to flourish and grow. That's what training our children up in the way that they should go is all about. My dad was an engineer. Still is, I guess. Always will be. I took a quarter of calculus I'm that old. We didn't have semesters then. So we took a quarter of calculus, and I decided that I was not going to be an engineer because I was way dumber than my dad in math. I was better at him in other things, but math was not my gift, you know. It wasn't my natural bent, and I found that out in a hurry. And I found out how smart he was. I was like, dude, you man. But you know what my dad never did? Because I told him, I, when I started college, I was like, I want to follow in your footsteps. You know, I emulated my father in many, many ways. I love my dad and, and uh, am so proud to call him dad. But, um, but as I went into that and found out that wasn't my gift and that wasn't the thing that I was naturally good at, my dad did an incredible thing for me. My dad never judged me. My dad never looked down on me. He never talked down to me. He never said you don't you're not applying yourself enough son you could do this if you just try I discovered what it was that God had gifted me to do and he said do it I support you 100 percent I'm proud of you he doesn't they don't come up here very much my dad's uh, uh, in remission right now thank God with cancer and uh, Found out a found out a year ago that he had uh, chronic myeloid leukemia, and uh, absolutely rocked my world because he is my hero. Um, but understood very quickly that I, I'm not immune to anything. You know, I live in this world that is cursed by sin, and it touches every part of our life, and it touches every family, and so. Um, But I found out that. But my dad, you know, he uh, just every every day that he is a part of my life, he makes me a better man. But I saw what he did for me there in just loving me and encouraging me. And I was saying, I I lost my train of thought there. I was saying he doesn't travel up here much in the times that he does. It makes him so nervous when I speak. That he just can't, my mom, it drives her crazy because he's just wringing his hands. Like, when's he going to say the dumb thing that's going to make me embarrassed, you know. Don't say anything stupid, son, please, you know, that kind of deal. But he is so proud of me and and he's proud of his other sons. And uh, he he did a tremendous thing in our life by always encouraging us to do what God gifted us to do. My younger brother's a farmer and he's a great one. And he's a great one because my dad stood behind him and encouraged him and said, whatever you need, son. And so that's a lesson to us. Whether we're fathers or mentors, whatever our position in life, you have influence in someone else's life this morning right now. And you have an opportunity to encourage them to move in that area of giftedness and work and move in their bent. Or you can look down on them and say, is is that a real job, (laughs) you know? So, I encourage you to do the former and not the latter. Okay? All right. Robert Bringle, a professor from Purdue University, he said this about uh, envy. He said, Each of us are the most susceptible where we feel the most vulnerable. We're the most susceptible where we feel the most vulnerable. And a lot of times you don't realize how vulnerable somebody is in an area until you listen to them talk about themselves and other people as it relates to that thing. A lot of times people who feel tremendous insecurity and vulnerability uh, are very sarcastic. They're very cutting uh, they're very snide when it comes to other people. They'll look at uh, maybe a, a coworker or somebody that's in the same field with them and just rip them to shreds. Guys, that's envy. That's what that is. And we've all been guilty of it. I've been guilty of doing that. You know, And we have to see it for what it is, and instead of ripping that person apart, we have to, we have to celebrate that person's advancement and, and what God's done in their life. Here's a few questions you can ask yourself to see if envy might be creeping into your heart. Are you upset when acquaintances advance professionally or socially? Do you feel pain because of another person's success? Do you belittle accomplishments? We just talked about that. Are you tempted to badmouth or sabotage a person to whom you feel inferior? Because usually that's who we do it to. Are you secretly pleased when a friend, even a loved one, suffers a setback? Does it? Does it secretly? Is it like, yeah, man, that, that's about time. It's been coming to them. You know, they've been riding down easy street long enough. It's about time they they had that. And if that's so, then. That's an issue of envy that you need to deal with. And very quickly, let me get to point number one. (laughs) I have three. You ain't getting them all today, okay? (laughs) Envy is a sin that the Lord does not treat casually. This passage here in Numbers makes that very, very clear. Envy makes God extremely angry. Moses didn't complain about uh, the envy that Miriam had, but God sure made it very clear how he felt about it. In Numbers 2, it says that the Lord heard the grumblings of Aaron and Moses, or, or Aaron and Miriam, and he immediately summoned them to a meeting. And in Numbers 12, 9, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. Why does it? Why does this sin of envy ignite so much anger in God? Here's here's the first reason. The first reason is because envy devalues my self-worth. It devalues my self-worth. Now, when it devalues my self-worth, who else does it devalue? Who created you? Did you create yourself? No. No. God created you. God is the creator of all things. And so when we devalue our own self-worth, we're looking at God and saying, you know what, you kind of missed it here. You could have done a little better. I mean, what's the deal? It denies the uniqueness that God made when he created you. And it defeats the the constructive work of the spirit in your life. We forget many times that God is the potter and we are the clay. Isaiah 29 says, can the pot say to the potter that he knows nothing? Can we look to God and say, you know what, I think you messed up here. I think you made a mistake here. I think you, you, didn't, quite, you didn't quite hit it here, God. I, you know, I don't know why you did what you did. I don't know why you made me the way you made me. But I'm not any use to anything or anybody. I need to be that guy. I need to have that talent or that giftedness. And and then we spend the rest of our lives in misery because we're comparing constantly to someone else. And we're never measuring up. And we're always falling short because we quit trying. What a waste. What a waste. Don't allow the sin of envy to steal from you. What God created you to be. He created you for a tremendous purpose. He created you to do marvelous things in this world. He created you to do stuff that only you can do. There are people that are going to be touched by God that I can touch because of my personality because of my giftedness, because of the areas in which I function, I'm going to be able to minister to to a certain group of people in a way that maybe some of you couldn't. And guess what? The same is true of you. God created you very special. He created you with a heart for very special things. And when when you envy someone else and say, I wish I could be that, you deny who God created you to be. And the purpose He wants to fulfill in and through your life. You have a purpose this morning. I want you to hear it and I want you to believe it this morning. You have a purpose. We we read the purpose-driven life. We hand out the little pamphlet about discovering your life's purpose. But you have a purpose. Fulfill it. Don't devalue. Don't look to the potter and say, you know what? You could have done a little bit better here. I don't know about you, but I've never created a heart. I've never made two sets of lungs that fit perfectly inside of a human body. I've never made a brain. I've never sat down and put all that together. And knit it together in the womb of a mother. I've never done that. Guess who has? God has. And when He tells me, He's got a purpose for me. He's got a plan for me. And He's created me unique. And He's got great things in store for my life. I believe that. I have a tendency to believe that. Because He did all this. And some of you are like, boy, Lord, keep working. (laughs) But he did all this. I know that he has a plan for the next step. So my prayer for you this morning is that you do not deny your worth that God has placed on you as an individual. God was very angry with Miriam about this sin. We'll look at it in a little more detail next week. But this, the sin of envy, made him so angry that he struck her with leprosy. The sin of envy will distance you from God and it will distance you from the people that you love. That thing that you chase after so much that you think, if I can just be this person, if I can have this gift, if I can have that talent... If I can do that, then man, everybody's going to like me. Everybody's going to, man, they're going to be drawn to me. And, and I'll be loved by all. And that very thing will be the thing that repels everybody from your life. God made it very clear. If we allow pride to creep in and we exalt ourselves, he will humble us. And let me tell you something. Many times, it's a public Humiliation Because that's what happened to Miriam Miriam got proud Miriam said well what about me And we just read in that verse God told her okay you want to know about you Here's about you I wasn't going to say all that But you need to know it You need to understand Who you are And you need to understand you didn't make yourself I made you Trust me and I've got great things in store For your life Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time that we've had together. And Lord, I pray, God, I pray that the sin of envy would not creep in and, and destroy who you created us to be and incite anger with you, God. I mean... Yeah, we we we've been talking about here lately anger in our own lives, and that we can be angry and not sin, and that is very important to understand. and And it's a very valuable lesson. But God, we do not want to make you angry. The things you hate, I want to know what they are, and I want to stay away from those things. And I want to honor you with my life. And so, God, today, today, Lord, I come to you, and I, and and and. Church, just acknowledge acknowledge it today. If you have allowed the sin of envy to creep into your life, just say, God, forgive me. Because I've denied my own self-worth. I am good. I have value. And I'm secure enough in understanding that somebody else may have value and, and, and be good in different things than I'm good at. But that's okay. We're all different. We're all part of the body. God, I I realize that I've been doing that. I realize I've been living my life comparing myself to everybody else. And today, Lord, I just ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for the comparison game. Forgive me for making a mess of this thing, God. But, Lord, thank you that you're here today and you can clean it all up. All I have to do is come to you and you'll make it right. So, Lord, today I come. Maybe, I'm, maybe you're here today and, and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been playing this game. Maybe you've, been, uh, maybe you've been living this out in your life and didn't even realize that you were doing it. Until you started asking these questions that kind of probe the heart of a man. And you say, Lord, I, I realize today what I've been doing. God, I just ask you to help me. Because I I can't do this myself. I've been trying not to feel this way for a long, long time. But I can't do it on my own. So God, come in and help me. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart. Deliver me from sin. and, And God, I just enter into this relationship with you through salvation. And I thank you for it. Thank you that no longer do I have to feel like less of a man or less of a woman. But you have created me fearfully and wonderfully. And I am beautiful in your sight. You are beautiful to God this morning. Each and every one of you. God, thank you. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for what you've done in this place today. Now as we leave this place, God. May we leave with a boldness and an assurance, Lord, that you are with us, you are directing our path, and that you have a plan that is perfect for our life. And no longer will we belittle ourselves or devalue ourselves, but we will see what you see when you look at us. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.